Hello and welcome back or welcome to the Performance Rising Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Dunn. And in today's episode, we talk to Neil Bhattacharji, who's the head women's soccer coach at Binghamton University. In this fascinating conversation, Neil talks about what it's like to take over a struggling program and work to change that culture. Neil, hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Neil, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, sure. So, um, Neil Batacharji, and uh, I'm going into my fourth year as a head coach of the women's soccer program at Binghamton University. Um, we're a Division One program in New York, uh, and we compete in the America East Conference. Um, so, you know, took over a program that, um, you know, was, was struggling um, when, when I first came in and certainly knew about um, some some situations that we had to just kind of deal with and monitor um, in order for us to, to build up a program that we wanted. Um, so a little bit of a tough beginning and then, um, you know, I experienced some success in year two and kind of took a, a step in, the, in, a, in a different direction in year three. Um, so kind of been a, a little bit of a... A, a little bit of a ride in that aspect, um, and certainly some things that um, I've learned, my group has learned as we've gone, gone over um, during that time period. Um, and uh, before I was at Binghamton, um, I was at Syracuse for four years as an assistant coach, um, Boston College for three years as an assistant coach, and George Washington um, for three years as an assistant coach, um, and also as a recruiting coordinator at all those institutions as well. Well, thanks so much for that. That's a great overview. Um, I want to start just with the background. Where are you from? And tell me about your family. And we're going to get into the, the community that you are a part of. So where are you from? Um, so moved around uh, a little bit. My, my father actually um, um, was a doctoral student and, and has his PhD. And, and because of that, we moved around. So um, was actually uh, born in Canada in New Brunswick, lived in Toronto for a little bit, um, then went off to um, Santa Cruz, California, and then um, moved to New Jersey um, right around kindergarten age. And and, uh, um, and, you know, for the most part, uh, grew up in, in, in northern Jersey. Um, so went, went to, you know, grade school, high school, all that then. Um, after that, attended um, the University of Maryland, um, where I played for the club program there. Um, and uh, um, shortly after that, I, I, I worked in the D.C. area, actually dabbled in, in uh, political life a little bit um, while, while I was in D.C. Um, and then um, uh, went into graduate school. Um, um, and, and my field of emphasis was in geography. Um, so did a master's at Texas State University and then um, eventually went to Arizona State University where um, I completed doctoral coursework um, but, but didn't um, get to the uh, thesis stage, um, the dissertation stage. Um, and that's actually where things kind of took a turn um, and um, in, in a very positive light. I just happened to um, get asked by a friend to get into coaching at the club level. Um, enjoyed it. Thought it was something I was good at. Um, 
Um, and you know, one opportunity just just led to another, and and, and uh, eventually took me to the collegiate co- coaching route. Um, and uh, family wise, um, my my wife Mary and I we got married in two thousand five um, while we were living in Arizona. Um, we have two daughters, um, Naya, who will be going into fourth grade, and Nora, who will be going into second grade. Um, and um, um, and you know, certainly uh, um, just enjoying you know family life, work life, um, living in upstate New York. Fantastic. Thanks for that overview. I'd like to go to Little Neil in New Jersey. So I really want to focus on on the kind of those formative years and um, want to know, tell me a little bit more about your father first. Um, sure. So um, both my parents actually immigrated from, from India. And uh, um, so my father um, um, his, his field was in, in chemistry. Um, um, one of the most brilliant men that, that, that I've ever met. Um, and you know, I know I'm, I'm certainly biased when I say that. Um, but, um, you know, he grew up in, in a small village and, um, you know, worked his way up in terms of, you know, graduate school, um, coming over to the U S um, you know, when he arrived here, I think he had less than a hundred dollars in his pocket. Um, and, uh, you know, really self-made, um, um, his career, um, um, based upon his experience in, in, in academia and then later on in, in, in the professional world. Um, so um, he's someone that, uh, you know, I, I look at the um, immigrant experience on very positively and, um, you know, and certainly has played a part in my my formative um, years as well, you know, because, um, you know, when you're you're in that, that first generation, it almost feels like, well, you sort of kind of have this tie to where your parents came from, yet you're growing up in, um, um, you know, in, 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 in your own home, in your own country. Um, so kind of navigating just the, 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 the elements of both worlds. And mom? Um, so my mom came over four years after my father had come over. So she, my dad had came in 68. My mom came in 1972. Um, so she's from Calcutta, India. Um, so speaks Bengali. It's a language that I grew up um, speaking as well. So um, I'm fluent. Um, not uh, I don't have as much practice um, in my more recent years, unfortunately, um, but still would consider myself to be um, fluent and certainly understand everything. And um, she also, um, while we were in New Jersey, um, she she would work as well. Um, and um, so was a stay-at-home mom initially. And then and, um, and then she she entered um, the workforce as well. Um, my uh, I have a younger brother who's uh, about six years younger than me, and um, so it was it was the four of us between um, uh, my mom, my dad, and, and my younger brother um, growing up in, in Northern Jersey. So you mentioned the immigrant experience. What values did your parents bring with them? Um, I think part of it is just an openness, um, you know, to experiencing new cultures. Um, and I've, I've, been to India. Um, I guess it's been seven trips now. Um, although my last one is, has been quite some time um, time ago. Um, but you know, I, I got to see um, another part of the world. Um, getting to see how different people live, different values, how their worldview is certainly different um, than the worldview of, of someone growing up here in, in the U.S. Um, I certainly have um, a, a lot of respect. Um, you know, I've I've moved around to different. Parts 
parts of the U.S., as I mentioned. And each of those moves, you know, you're trying to reestablish yourself and get a new network and um, just kind of figuring out the lay of the land. And that's, but that's, that's one thing, you know, to do it in the U.S. where, you, you know, where, you know, people are speaking English and all that. It's a whole other thing to, to do it, you know, when you're, when you're moving um, yourself, your family, you know, thousands of miles um, across the globe. Um, so I, I, I certainly have um, a, a big amount of respect. I didn't quite understand it as much as um, perhaps I, I could have um, as a child. And, you know, probably a lot of that just because you don't know any better. But certainly as I've grown and matured, um, you know, I've, I've really reflected back on that um, and, um, um, and and really just taken in like, oh, oh my gosh, like that that immigrant experience, um, that's, that's a huge life-changing, transformative experience. Yeah. So your dad being the academic, what did you learn from him? Uh, I learned from him um, the, the 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 work ethic. Um, you know, I, I saw what he had done. Um, you know, in terms of um, the academic side. Um, you know, I, I think in some ways um, certain things came naturally to him, especially as related to things regarding mathematics and sciences. Um, and um, um, it was interesting that was those were the things that actually I wasn't that strong in. Um, so I, but I, I was, I was more, um, uh, in tune with more the, the social side of things. So social sciences, as I mentioned, geography, but things like, um, um, demographics, um, sociology, those, those are the things that I, I kind of got caught up in, um, a little bit more on my side, but I think, um, there was, there was a, good relation between the two um you know there might be different fields but you know how you approach it um you know looking at things um from um um from an empirical you know scientific method um were things that certainly i i, I gained from him and what about your mom? Um, and then my mom, you know, I, I think my mom, she was, she was a really good balance, um, you know, to, to my dad. You know, uh, uh, my mom was, you know, the more nurturing, empathetic one. Um, you know, certainly I, I think a lot of, um, you know, my values and, um, um, you know, have, have certainly come across. And uh, certainly I, I think it's, it's shaped me into the person that I am, certainly the father that, uh, that I am and, and, and want to be. So, uh, you know, part of this interest in, in culture starts with understanding where we all come from and our cultural outlooks. And we'll define that word a little bit later. But I'm wondering, what did it mean to be a member of your family? How would you define that? Um, I think our, our family had a, a good network. Um, you know, I, I, I look at my mom and dad, and they, they actually were esta- uh, able to establish themselves in northern Jersey with a strong connection to um, the Indian community there, um, of which there's there's a pretty significant population. Um, so they, they established themselves, entrenched themselves within that. Um, you know, and I, if, I, if I look around, you know, I can certainly, um, you know, I, I look at my family, but, I you know, I also felt like there was just this extended family as well, um, you know, of other Indian families um, within that community. So um, I think within that, um, you know, within my own nuclear family, you know, you, you just knew that um, kind of by by design that, that you were part of a, a bigger community as well. Um, you know, I look at my, um, you know, my, my hometown and, uh, um, you know, and I, I, I grew up in, in, a, in a fairly well-off area in Northern Jersey. Um, and, uh, you know, I think people, you know, took me in, um, you know, certainly there are, um, you know, things that, that, uh, 
you deal with it just kind of on a life perspective, issues pertaining to um, race, um, you know, Im- immigrants and, and, and nativists and, and things like that. Um, so certainly there was there was some of that. But, uh, um, you know, for me, I, I, I felt like, you know, I was I was pretty welcomed and, um, um, and you know, was, was able to, uh, you know, thrive in that environment. So I use a, um, we'll call it, I use a structure to understand culture. And so I'm going to be asking you a series of questions and we'll keep coming back to this, but I want to really touch on this larger community that you're part of. So Northern New Jersey, um, a lot of Indian community. So you're, you're kind of immersed and enmeshed in this community. And the first question I want to ask you is if that community and that culture was a symbol, what would the symbol be? Um, could you could you delve into that a little bit deeper? Sure. So it's any graphical representation that you want to associate with what it was like to be a member of that community. Um, gosh, I just, you know, I just remember just gatherings, like community gatherings, um, you know, picnics in the summertime. Um, um, you know, we would, um, you know, hold, um, you know, religious festivals like Diwali, things like that. And, and, um, you know, usually it was at a, uh, a church or a school that, uh, the community would rent out for the day. Uh, I guess that's what I remember yeah. more so than anything, just, just kind of those big, big gatherings um, yeah. and um, um, and kind of how everyone came together around that. What is the story that that community told itself about itself? Uh, I think, you know, it, it, it really showed the, the power of community, um, you know, having, having shared values. Um, and I think it gave a, a, a really a, a sense of belonging, um, you know, for, for me. And, and, and I think my generation is, is a little bit different than, say, my, my parents' generation is – you're, you're kind of caught in the middle, you know, to a certain degree, you know, which, which world am I in? And, um, and, you know, later on you find it, well, you're, you're, you're in both and, and it's okay to be in both. Um, that, you know, you're kind of this bridge between the community that, you know, that, that generation that, you know, Im, you know, um, immigrated here to this country, um, you know, to seek, you know, other opportunities and a better life. Um, and that you're part of this next generation that's also going to be tied in growing up. Um, you know, within this country, within this community, um, you know, being being that bridge. So just just kind of navigating, you know, the best of you know both worlds. Um, yeah. So I think you know that that community, um, you know, I, I, I think really just the shared values and um, you know how important academics were, um, the the meaning and importance of you know a sense of community, um, um, and 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 um, you know I, I think in, in many ways it's probably more I would say conservative. Um, approach, um, just you know, just just that was kind of the the outlook you had coming from India. Sure, uh, you mentioned a lot of religious celebrations, but what uh, were the rituals and or routines that supported? that story that it told itself of the community. Yeah. So, I mean, things like, um, um, Diwali and, and, uh, you know, other, um, um, holy events. Um, I, I remember, you know, reciting things in Sanskrit, um, you know, that, a that a priest would say, and I would recite back. And, um, a lot of times I didn't even know what the heck I was saying. I just knew that's, that's what you were there for. And that's what you did. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of it was based around, um, you know, being thankful, um, 
um, for for what you had, um, you know, for those for those experiences. Um, again, it was you know for me, I, I kind of looked at it more as just a way for people to come together um, and um, you know and and uh, you know be appreciative and grateful for uh, um, for for what we had and and um, you know hopefully what will, will be coming up in the future. Yeah, what was control? And what was the system of control? And again, all these you define any way you want. Um, you mean within my family? Uh, it could be family, could be community. It's however you experienced this idea of control. Um, I would say um, a lot of it came from my mom. Um, she was, um, you know, more so the, the disciplinarian. Um, and, um, you know, if I did something that was out of line or inappropriate, um, certainly I would, I would hear about it and, and, and there'd be, you know, some kind of consequence at the end. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, I grew up with, um, you know, a, a good respect for just, um, you know, authority figures around me, um, whether they be, um, you know, teachers, coaches, um, um, you know, elders in the community. Um, and, um, you know, I always had an, an appreciation for the older gender or, or sorry, older generation. Um, so I, I'd say a lot of that, um, you know, was, was stuff that shaped me in terms of, um, in terms of control. And, you know, whenever there were, you know, those rare moments where I kind of stepped outside those lines, it was, you know, there was always someone that would bring me back in pretty quickly. So control informs the next, which is organizational structures. You know, how was your community organized? And again, it, it could be any way you want, but some things like, was it a gender base? Was it a racial base? You know, how did you conceptualize about how your world was organized? Um, so, you know, certainly, you know, it started with my nuclear family um, and, and, and that's what it was. Um, you know, I didn't have other family members here. I didn't have, you know, grandparents or cousins or anything like that. So, um, you know, it was, it was um, you know, very strictly defined to my nuclear family, um, you know, with, with my dad and mom. Um, and, um, you know, then I would say it was, you know, the outside community. Um, you know, when, I, when I look at my folks, you know, specifically, um, you know, the, the Indian American community. And, um, and then really a lot of it just came down to where I was as far as schooling. Um, you know, so, so, um, so, you know, kind of where, um, you know, I fit in, in elementary school, middle school, high school, um, um, you know, and, and a lot of my life revolved around music and soccer. Um, so people that I, I came across in those environments. Um, so you talked about music. How did you find music? Uh, let's see. I think it was fourth grade. I got into um, got into music. Uh, I, I was always drawn to drums, percussion. Um, so I I, I got um, got into that. And and um, throughout high school, um, just like wind ensemble, symphonic band, um, things like that. And then um, you know, eventually, uh, I was able to break my parents down to to the point where they they would buy me a drum set. And so I, I had that. Uh, I think I got that around seventh grade eighth grade um and uh started taking lessons on that loved it um you know played with other musicians um and uh in college actually i ended up minoring in music and um i uh, was in a couple bands there as well um and um, um even had the opportunity to travel 
travel um, to, to other venues around the East Coast. Um, so it was uh, it was uh, uh, a great balance. You know, I, it was something where, you know, I, I, I could focus on the academic side. I had my soccer side and I had my music side. And that was um, that was kind of my, my identity, you know, that, um, you know, and, uh, all, all things I enjoyed and um, and, and uh, kind of how I felt like people people would view me. And, and what what was music to you? Uh, a lot of ways it was a, a release. Um, you know, it was, you know, a lot of my free time was just, um, you know, experimenting on the drums or, uh, you know, playing along to, to tracks, taking lessons. Um, you know, I, 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 I felt like um, I, I took an academic approach to it um, where, um, you know, I was, um, you know, learning from different teachers and uh, um, doing stuff on my own. And, um, you know, and I, I, in many ways, I felt like I was just a sponge. Um, you know, there are, you know, a lot of different styles of music, a lot of different drummers. And, you know, I, you know, I would take the things that I liked and, you know, perhaps there are other things that I didn't like and I would filter it. Um, but, um, um, you know, all of that really, you know, what, what I wanted to do was not just try to emulate someone, but I was going to try to make my own distinct sound because um, I think that's where people, you know, really stand out. So take, you know, a lot of different elements, whether it's different music across jazz, um, um, rock, funk, hip hop um, from other parts of the world um, and, and, and try to, you know, come up with a, with a style that was going to be, you know, a signature style that was all my own. So for people out there that like drumming, who is the, the single drummer that you think everybody should listen to? Oh, gosh. Um, I I grew up as a big police fan. Um, so yeah. um, I, I love Stuart Copeland. Um, you know, as I was, you know, learning a lot um, through, through my formative years, like in middle school and high school, I listened to Rush quite a bit um, and, and Neil Peart. Um, and um, and then also Led Zeppelin um, with, with John Bonham. I'd say, you know, those three in particular um, really shaped me a lot in those years. Once I got into college, I was... Um, um, listening to um, Steve Gadd, Vinnie Kaliuta, those are some some of my favorites. So I can't say if I can pinpoint one. Um, I think it's been you know a few different ones that um, you know I've I've hopefully been able to, to to take some some stuff away from and and always love listening to them play. Yeah. So we have the music side. Then how did you find soccer? Um, so soccer was something that um, I, I um, you know, I was just kind of drawn into. It must have been, gosh, maybe second grade, third grade um, in, in my hometown in New Jersey. Um, played with a co-ed team. You know, I don't think it was um, anything too high level or over the top, um, which is which is a good thing. Um, and, um, you know, I was just I was just drawn to it, um, you know, to me, um, just the the idea of, you know, being one of 11 players, um, you know, doing stuff with your feet. Um, and, uh, and, and, and for me, it was also, it was kind of a sport that I felt like it was something that was just kind of growing and I could catch on to it. So, mm-hmm. um, in Northern Jersey, um, like a, a lot of the soccer, the quality soccer was played by immigrant communities, um, you know, specifically from Europe and South America. And there was a, there are these pockets all around. Um, and so perhaps, you know, I, I didn't really necessarily have 
have that um, through through my own community. Uh, but it was a way that oh, okay, this is this is cool, and I'm enjoying it. And, and it was you know, I'd, I'd say it was kind of a fringe sport at that time. Um, you know, this is like early to mid '80s, and it was just a way that hey, I enjoyed this, and um, um, and you know, just I, I I didn't have any big ambitions of making a World Cup or playing pro or anything like that. It was just something I enjoyed at the time, and you know, the more I played and the better I got at it, the more and more I grew into it and, and, and uh, um, led to other opportunities. So how do we go from a kid playing in New Jersey into coaching? What was that path like for you? So I, uh, I grew up in Jersey. Um, you know, I, I'd say one of the things that um, perhaps was a little bit different in my experiences, um, I, I didn't necessarily know the route. Um, meaning like the route to playing in college soccer. So I think a lot of it was just left on my own. Um, so I, I just love to play. Um, I remember in high school, you know, I played for my high school team, the local club team. Um, but even on the days that we didn't have training, I'd be getting in a workout or I'd show up at the fields. Um, we had a, we had a great complex a few miles away from where I lived. I'd bike over. There are always people playing and just playing pickup. Um, and, and I love that. And, uh, um, and, and, and for me, it just, you know, I, I, I think I just got a lot of experience just from learning about the game through the game. Um, sometimes it'd be with the coach, sometimes it wouldn't be, but I think that's a, that's a great path, great way to learn just to kind of, you know, do it on your own, um, you know, at a, you know, grassroots pickup level. Um, so certainly enjoyed that. Um, you know, I had, um, a couple things that I was looking at once I got in, once I was looking at colleges, but I knew that probably college soccer, um, at least at division one level wasn't necessarily going to be in the cards. And, um, you know, when I decided to attend the University of Maryland, um, I played for the club program there, which is actually pretty decent level. Um, you know, we made it to, to club nationals a couple of years. Um, you know, my understanding, I don't know how true this is, but, you know, it's probably um, as far as the, the level of play, it was probably like a decent D3 team um, from, from what I can gather. Um, and, um, you know, certainly enjoyed that. And, um, you know, after college, you know, I just enjoyed playing, continued to play in men's leagues in the DC area while I was in Texas. And then when I moved to Arizona, um, it was when I was in Arizona, actually, um, a coworker of my wife's, um, he, he, knew that I was playing the position of goalkeeper. He wanted someone to coach his goalkeeper on his club team. So I don't know never done coaching before, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. And, uh, so we met and, um, it was, we enjoyed it. Um, I, I just worked with this one, um, goalkeeper on, um, um, her name was Rachel and, uh, very raw athlete, but had good hands, was brave, um, um, willing to, to communicate with people in front of her. So had a lot of the raw attributes that you look for in a goalkeeper. So for me, it was fun because I had a a good base to work with. And then it was more of a matter of molding and refining technique. Um, and, um, it ended up with her getting actually a couple scholarship offers to, to division one schools. And, uh, um, so just learn from that experience. Then I had an opportunity to be hired by a local club, working with goalkeepers at different ages, um, all on the girls' side, um, working with a program called the Olympic Development Program in the state of Arizona, again, all on the girls' side. And, uh, again, just really enjoyed it. And that's where I really kind of started to immerse myself into it. I was working full-time, um, for a nonprofit and in the evenings, you know, was, was coaching. And then, um, you know, went to different coaching courses, 
um, you know, would buy videos to pick up certain things. And, um, you know, and, and one thing led to another. Um, 2006, I was fortunate enough to um, get an opportunity to coach with the U.S. Youth National Team. And then that's when I knew, okay, like, I, I want to do this. Like, I, I want to I coach at the collegiate level. And then that's when I had my first opportunity at George Washington. Fantastic. Okay, so now we're going to kind of kind of warp through your first stages of coaching, and then we'll get to Binghamton, and we'll spend a lot of time there. So, George Washington, what was it like entering into that first professional setting? What did that feel like for you? Yeah, I think a lot of it is you're, you're learning the system um, of just – college athletics um, and recruiting. Um, I was very fortunate that, um, you know, I was hired by Tony Vogel, um, who now is the athletic director at GW. And um, so learned a lot under under her care. Um, you know, from, from my role specifically when I got there, it was to work with the goalkeepers and, um, and it was also to work on the recruiting side, which is something that, um, you know, Tony really, really wanted uh, to, to improve upon. Um, um, so for, for me, it was just a matter of navigating it, um, you know, on the recruiting side, making connections to club coaches um, and, you know, seeing how all that was going to work. And some of it, quite honestly, was was trial and error, um, you know, because you're kind of learning on the on the fly as you go. Um, and then um, certainly enjoyed, you know, stuff that I got to do on the field. Um, you know, as a program, I knew that um, there were certain things that, um, you know, we had to work around. We were not a fully funded program. Um, at the time, we were actually the most expensive school in the country as well. Um, so so we had some challenges there. And, um, you know, so just, just kind of learning about that and getting that experience and certainly feel like, uh, you know, I grew a lot, uh, you know, within my three years there. And then as I got more and more comfortable, then I started to do more stuff in terms of just working with the field players and, and, and expanding on that as well. So just kind of expanding my role in terms of the coaching side. And what did it, what did that team community feel like? Um, so I think for us, you know, it was, it was a balance. Um, you know, you're, you're at this, um, you know, this renowned public institution, um, you know, there, we had players from all over the country. Um, we had players that, you know, were there certainly because of the name of the school, certainly the location. I mean, you're in downtown DC, you know, my office was six blocks away from the white house and just down the street from the Lincoln Memorial. Um, so, you know, you, you, you knew that you were playing that, um, that balance act of okay, well, um, these are players that are here. They want to get um, a good experience of playing at the Division One level. Um, but you know, as a uh, at, as a mid major um, at a um, you know strong academic institution, you know that you're playing that balance of of um, you know them getting a great um, academic experience as well. Um, so you you knew there was there was some of that, um, and um, you know I thought our culture overall. Um, you know there were there were some good things, and then certainly there were there were some moments of um, okay, well we got to address this. Like if there's a moment of drama and and stuff like that, and um, and that's that's something that again you know you learn by trial by fire as well. Um, you know dealing with eighteen to twenty two year old female student athletes, um, there's there's going to be some some certain scenarios that perhaps as a male coach, um, it's 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 going to be some some a little bit of a learning curve um, to understand that um, but um, um, but if you can do that and talk about things and and um, and do it in positive light uh, you know a lot of a lot of good can come out of it 
So from GW, um, as you say, there was a, a balance. You go to BC, which is kind of like the other end of the spectrum. Uh, so ACC school, uh, talk a little bit about what that was like. First of all, how, how'd you get there? And then what was that like? Um, yeah. So, um, at Boston college, you know, I, I, I was enjoying my experience at, at George Washington. Um, and, uh, but, you know, heard about this opportunity at Boston college, um, actually knew the assistant coach that was going to be departing and, um, about an opening and, you know, skill set again, worked, uh, really well for me, um, in terms of, um, some goalkeeping experience, some with recruiting experience. Um, at that time, Boston College was um, a pretty well-established program. You know, they had made the move to to the ACC, which is noted for um, um, being um, one of the strongest conferences in women's soccer. Um, and, um, you know, for me, it was an opportunity um, to you know, uh, work, work at a higher level. Um, and, um, you know, for, for top 20 program, um, that was competing at the highest level, um, making the NCAA tournament. Um, so it was one that I was really excited for. And, um, you know, I was certainly very excited to, um, just, just take that next step in terms of, you know, my own development and then just, just working at that level. Um, so I was very fortunate, um, you know, to have the opportunity to work there, you know, for, for three years. Um, Allison Foley had done a tremendous job, you know, when she had taken over that program to where it was. And, um, you know, for me, it was a matter to, um, you know, continue um, um, continue that path. Um, so, you know, could we make an Elite Eight, a Final Four, really push um, to establishing ourselves as a top 10, top 5 program? Um, so certainly was, was very ecstatic that um, um, Coach Foley gave me that opportunity, took away quite a bit from, from that experience working under her tutelage. And how was that culture different from GW? So there, you know, you, again, another fabulous um, academic institution, um, you know, where you're going to get, um, you know, a, a great degree. Um, but there you had players that they were they were much more about the soccer. Um, and, um, you know, they, they knew, um, the players coming in knew about, um, you know, what a, what a, what a, a great environment, um, Chestnut Hill is, um, they know what a great, um, name Boston College is, but they're, they're there to, to, to really um, soak up everything that they can from their soccer experience. So we had players that um, were certainly driven um, in terms of what they wanted to achieve in terms of their, their soccer careers. Um, you know, uh, it was it was actually my first time where there, there are actually moments we had to tell players to, to back off um, in terms of pushing it too far, which that was, that was new for me. Um, but, um, you know, players that were just um, so hard hungry um, in terms of, you know, what they wanted, um, in terms of what their competitive mentality was, um, and, um, you know, what they wanted from, from, from their overall soccer experience. And for, you know, a lot of them, um, they also look beyond college as well, you know, continue along with soccer um, in, in some way, whether that was playing professionally in the U.S. or overseas, perhaps getting into coaching. Um, so I think, you know, those, those players certainly looked at the game at, at a different light than I was, I was used to. So quick association for those who might not be uh, familiar with these uh, types of institutions. But if the culture of the team at GW was an animal, what animal would it be? Um, I would say Golden Retriever. Okay. And then BC? Line. 
Okay, so now we some people can really get a, an understanding of those the very differences between the fabrics of those uh, institutions, especially in their culture and their soccer program. <laughs> okay, so you went from the Golden Retriever to the Lion, and then you go to Syracuse. Um, and what what was Syracuse like? What how did that feel? Yeah, so Syracuse presented um, an, an interesting opportunity for me. Um, the head coach at the time was Phil Wedden, who uh, who I'd known for a number of years. Um, um, another one that uh, um, had work had had done significant work um, with U.S. Soccer, um, specifically on the goalkeeping side. Um, it was also a um, uh, a transformative time for me in terms of my my personal life, my family life. Um, so, um, at Boston College, my wife Mary and I, we had our first child, Naya. Um, and, um, um, when the Syracuse opportunity, uh, came about, um, we were expecting our second child, Nora. And, um, um, so we, we looked for something where we could root down a little bit more. Um, you know, Syracuse in terms of, um, um, a lifestyle was going to be, um, a little bit of a, a different pace. Um, economically, I think it was going to be something that, um, was going to be was going to be beneficial to to our our young family. Um, so I looked at it from those dimensions. But what was what was really exciting from Syracuse is that they also um, were going to be making this move to the ACC. Um, so they compete in the Big East Conference, which is a good conference, but not not um, um, not as high level as the ACC. So you know, I looked at this opportunity of oh wow, like uh, you know, here's another way where I can really um, you know put put, put uh, my stamp on a program. Um, you know, as they're as they're making this change and, and really help them ascend. Um, so that was um, that was that was a big part in terms of you know the the decision for us to make that move. And uh, the culture at Syracuse, what animal would it be? Um, gosh, I would say when I first arrived, um, I'd still say I think golden retriever would probably be be apt. Um, did it change? Yeah, I think it changed over time, and I think part of it was just the realization that um, it it needed to change. Um, so, um, you know, I was given the task again of, of recruiting for that level, um, and uh, you know, I think what we were able to do is, um, you know, find players that were interested in, in really putting themselves out there, you know, playing at a higher level, um, you know, being, um, um, you know, having to test their comfort level, um, you know, the 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 thing though is that um, you know when I got to Syracuse at the time it was you know it was, a, it was a decent Big East program and then we were trying to establish that program to um, you know becoming one that would be competitive in the ACC which um, which unfortunately you know over the course of my four years didn't didn't really quite translate um, you know I think we gave teams a game um, but um, you know, we really broke into um, you know that top 20 um, 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 platform and and you're playing against really established programs like, you know, North Carolina and Notre Dame and Virginia and Florida State and Wake Forest. And Clemson. I mean, just I mean, it's just a very, very difficult um, 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 group to break into. Um, so that was that was definitely a challenge. And uh, um, and, um, you know, one that, um, you know, we weren't able to quite make that breakthrough, uh, but it was something that we were always looking to, to ascend to. Yeah, so I want to take a quick pivot here before we get into BU because one of the things that's interests me about you is this thread of recruiting coordinator that has followed you wherever you go. And and I would be 
I would feel comfortable saying you're a very talented recruiter, in my opinion. Thank you. Um, what is it about that experience that you, A, enjoy and B, feel confident with? Yeah, I mean, I, I do enjoy it. Um, you know, I think if, you know, for one reason, it's, it's the way that you can, uh, I feel, impact your program very significantly. Um, you know, I've heard, um, you know, there's a saying out there um, that uh, um, 80% of your success comes down to recruiting. Um, I don't know who first said it, but I've, I've heard that mentioned a few times. Some coaches might say 70% or 90%, but, um, you know, I think a big part of it does come down to the people you bring in. Um, and um, not just the talent, but their character, you know. And, and for me, I've, I've really evolved in terms of recruiting. You know, I think I used to, you know, as a young recruiter, I would look more so at the talent. Now, like, talent's important, but, you know, I'm also looking at the character. I'm looking for kids that um, are motivated. You know, they love the game of soccer. They want to improve, you know, day in and day out. They're looking for that challenge. So I think that's played um, even bigger part in terms of, um, you know, what I, what I look for with, with my eyes when I'm out on the recruiting trail. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly enjoyed that. Um, I also enjoyed just just the fact that you you're getting to meet people and know them um you know so i I love those moments where you know you're sitting down in the office and you're talking with um a potential student athlete you're talking with their parents you're figuring out what it is that they want um you know is our program going to be a good fit is our university going to be a good fit um and um i I think i'm a little bit different in the sense that um you know i i tell kids you know i i want them to find their best fit and if it's here great. If it's not, you know, I want them to find their dream school. And if that's not here, I hope they find it somewhere else. Um, so, you know, I, I, I want kids to, you know, give a fair look. Um, and at the end, they can make a really good, well-informed decision at the end. So it's, it's easy to see talent, right? It's easy to see how athletic a kid is, how technical they are. What is it that you, let me rephrase this, how do you explore character with a recruit? Yeah, so I look for certain things that um, 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 perhaps a little bit off the cuff. Um, you know, if I if you know, sometimes I'll get to a game early, um, just see how they are in warmups, um, and then you know, when the warmup ends, are they helping to pick up cones, pick up uh, pick up pennies? Um, you know, at the end of a game, if it's a tough loss, you know, how do they take it? Um, you know, I've even sat next to um, players' parents before um, just to see how their parents are, um, you know, over the course of the game. I have discussions with uh, with coaches, um, certainly with the club coach, but I've gone um, even deeper where I've talked to the high school coach. I've even had um, a couple conversations with guidance counselors um, just to see if it's really the right fit. Um, so you do as much as you can, um, you know, Sometimes, you know, you don't really know what that player is going to be like until they're actually there on your campus. Uh, but you do as much work as you can uh, leading up to that. Um, the other thing I look into now, it's which is playing a more and more role, is, is social media. Um, and, um, and and showing there, there are kids where, um, you know, I'll, I'll, you know I, I love everything that the student athlete has to say and what they've done on the field. And then you go on their social media platform and, and you see a different side. Um, and, um, you know, and and, um, you know, unfortunately, that, that does play a part in it as well. So those are all elements that, you know, I, I look at to kind of get as, as most complete a picture as you can, um, you know, prior to making a decision one way or another. Thank you. All right. We've arrived at BU, and this is your first head coaching gig. And 
I want you to think of your time at BU so far like chapters in a book. How many chapters and what are they titled? Um, I guess I could call each chap- each year a different chapter. Um, you know, um, you know, when I arrived at the beginning of 2016, um, I guess the chapter could be called um, A New Beginning. Um, you could also call it um, a challenge. Um, you know, I took over a program that, um, you know, at, at that particular moment um, had, 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 had challenges. And it was, um, that was ex- expressed to me very explicitly um, to, to me by, uh, you know, the hiring committee, uh, by people in the administration. Um, you know, I took over a program that on the field was struggling. Um, they were 3, 12, and 2 um, in 2015, had finished in last place in the conference. So certainly there was, just from a soccer side, that was going to be a challenge, um, and then also just heard about um, you know the the culture side that there were um, there were challenges there, um, divisions between different classes, um, behaviors um, on the field, off the field. Um, so I knew that there were there were certainly going to be um, some some struggles um, there. Um, so you know as I came in, I wanted to create a positive culture. Um, I knew that um, you know I, I told the players that more was going to be expected of them and with that there were going to be some challenges and there were going to be some struggles at, at, at some certain points um so um the um, um you know so so for 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 that you know i'd say you know a new beginning a new challenge um would be you know an app description for 2016 um if i were to look at 2017 um i would say a page has turned, and a re- and a re- uh, uh, revelation. Those would be the chapter titles for that in 2017. Um, so we went from last place in 2016 to first place in 2017. Um, went from ninth place in the America East to tie for first. Um, we had, um, you know, our, our, our players were, were very much um, on board. Um, I think, you know, we were all on the same page. It was a freshman class that brought in new energy, um, brought in a transfer as well that ended up being the striker of the year. Um, so there, you know, from a talent perspective, you know, that, that certainly helped. We had four players that um, ended up getting some kind of all-conference recognition that year um, and um, you know went 11 four and four um, that year and I, 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 I you know we set some history it was the most um, wins since uh, 2009 I believe the first conference championship of any any source since 2004 so um, we certainly set some history in, in, in that regard um, in in one ways to be honest with you I, I thought we were actually ahead of schedule um, I I was expecting that we were going to make significant gains and steps in 17. Um, but we, we actually went a little bit further than I thought we would um, in 17. Um, so, um, you know, certainly, you know, you know, pleased in terms of, you know, how quickly we, we had ascended. Um, and in 2018, um, I guess a, a good chapter title would just be Off Kilter. Um, I think, uh, you know, in many ways we expect 
expected my, myself um, and our staff and our players included um, just expected a lot would just kind of continue to, to be there in place um, and that we would just be able to build off some of the success that we had in 17 um, and actually what we found is that um, we took a step in, in, in the other direction um, so um, you know it's something that um, you know all of us myself included um, have taken responsibility for um, so you know we've tried to analyze where the things didn't go so well um, quite honestly I think part of it was a big part of it was just our culture just kind of different people being on different pages um, it wasn't because of the soccer it wasn't because of anything physical it wasn't because we had you know five or six major injuries so it was it was some other things that that led to led to that occurring so now we're kind of at this crossroads leading into into 2019 where you know I think we've got cautious optimism um, leading into this year but know that you know there are some things that we needed to address which I think we did over the course of last spring you know leading into this new season uh, great. So we have a, a lot to unpack here. I want to go back to chapter one, a new beginning. And I want to focus on, you know, walking in that door and inheriting a, a program and a team. And I want to go through my, uh, my framework here. And if that team was a symbol, what would it be? Um... I would say the Liberty Bell because of the crack. Okay. What was the story that that team told itself about itself? So for me, I, I knew that um, it was, it was going to be a stepping stone type of year. Um, so for me, the big thing was just establishing our culture. Um, so what is a training session going to look like? What's the work ethic that's expected? What is, what's the behavior off the field? Um, what does it mean to be a Binghamton Bearcat women's soccer teammate? So those are the things that we try to really implement. And what I told them a lot, and I, I, I continue to mention this to, to this day, my, my players will probably roll their eyes if they hear me say this because they've heard it plenty of times, is that we talk about a process. Um, and, you know, just being committed to that process every day, make yourself better, control the things that you can control. And in the end, the results are happening, not necessarily getting caught up in the results, but if we can control the things that we can control, making ourselves better, looking at that process, the results that that's, that'll just happen. That that'll be a byproduct. Um, so one thing that we did, um, in 16 also is we talked about the values that we wanted within our culture. Um, so actually I, I, I uh, you know, I had a little bit of, of help from the UNC staff, um, legendary coach Anson Dorrance. And, um, I knew he had, um, 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 team cultures that his team revolved around. So, um, he was kind enough to share that with me. And as a team, we picked some of those. Um, so we, we selected eight values and the things that we wanted to be that year were tough, disciplined, focused, relentless, resilient, positive, caring, and selfless. Those are the things that we wanted Binghamton to be known for. And one thing that I told the players that year is I said, what do you want to be when, when you're not in the room and people are talking about your team in that closed room, what do you want them to say? 
Um, and that's that's gonna that's gonna be our identity. Um, yes, yeah, some of it might be soccer specific. We defend hard. We're physical. We're gonna be creative in the attack. Like yeah, there's there's a soccer side, but you know what do you want the non soccer people to to say about you? Um, so those are the those are the the core values that um, um, you know we really wanted to embrace. Everything was gonna revolve around that, and that we were gonna have nothing that was gonna deviate from from any of those values. So great, you brought it up. Let's let's get your definition right now. What is culture? So for our culture, basically your behavior, your day-to-day behavior um, basically sets up what your culture is going to be. Um, and um, it's going to it's going to tie in, um, you know, uh, uh, one thing that we really want is, is a positive culture. So that's a big part of it. But we're going to balance that with accountability as well. Um, so if things don't necessarily go our way, you know, we're going to reflect back why, what can we do to change it? So we're ready for that next one. Um, so. So, you know, for us, a big part of it is, you know, having that sense of belief, that positivity, um, you know, knowing that you're, you're doing something that's bigger than yourself. And then ultimately, you know, we're going to put out a, a, a competitive product out there on the field. So that's great, Neil. So I, I have an understanding of the story and, and really the rituals that we're talking about, because the rituals are, are, are how they interact and some of these values and how they manifest Tell me about control system. How how is control again define that however you want? How does it manifest itself? Again, we're looking at the first chapter. How did it manifest itself then in that culture? Yeah, well, we had we had certain rules um, that that we put in place. Um, you know, we talked to our team um, about having a dry season in the fall, um, and you know, there's certainly you know. Um, benefits to that, um, you know, in terms of just in terms of, um, you know, the athletic experience, um, in terms of um, hydration and, you know, being fit and ready to go. But for, for me, even bigger than that is it's a covenant, you know, it's an agreement that you're making to your teammates, um, to your staff. Um, so, so, you know, that's, that's, that's an agreement that, hey, for these next three, three and a half months, um, that's, that's going to be something that, um, um, that we're going to look to do. And, in many ways, you're you're beholden to your players because they're the ones that are going to self police it. You know, as as a coach, you're not there twenty four seven, nor would you want to be there. You know, twenty four seven to to see all of that. Um, you know, we had expectations in terms of just how we would handle ourselves in a professional manner, um, being on time, wearing the same gear, um, and you know, if there was anything that um, um, again that uh, that took away from that, um, you know, we would make sure. Sure that we would we would address it right away. Um, we did have some situations that came up in terms of um, um, interactions between different teammates that weren't necessarily um, positive at times. And for me, I, I believe in, in meeting those head on. Um, if if you don't, it just it lingers um, and it just kind of festers, and then it becomes an even bigger issue um, when when you decide to deal with it. Um, so for me, you know, it was it was a matter of just making sure that um, you know. We dealt with those quickly. Um, we had captains, um, both of whom were juniors that year. That that certainly helped along with that. Um, and it was it was tough for them too because when you're coming into a program where you're trying to change a culture, it's it's tough. Um, you know, some people um, it's it, it it becomes uncomfortable. And, and how do you deal with those moments? And and that's where we all kind of had to work to together to to make sure those things would occur. And then in that first year, what was power, and where did it come from? 
Um, a lot of it came from you know the staff um, in terms of just establishing this is um, you know here here's here the you know to use your phrase the control system here are things are going to work here are um, our um, um, or how um, our, our expectations and and um, here you know there'll be consequences when those expectations aren't met um, so a lot of it you know came came from us and um, you know players um, uh, you know for the for the most part were were on board um, you know we did have a couple players that decided okay this may not be um, in in the best interest some of it was because of you know a physical ailment that 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 held him out um, but um, you know for for us it was okay this is what we want to do we want to um, we want to be a um, 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 a strong division one program that's going to compete in the America East and here's some steps that we're going to take um, let's make sure we're all, all, um, you know, all on board to do that so in changing that culture which is a very difficult process regardless of where you are whether it's a sport team or a business you you came up with these values now did you introduce them or did the team Develop them and ratify them, or how how did those values get introduced? Yeah, so I, I approached to them. Um, I actually gave them that um, Anson had given me, and I said, um, "Listen, this is what North Carolina does. They've set um, the the bar, you know, as far as women's soccer goes." Um, but I've, I've told them very carefully, "I'm not expecting us to be North Carolina. I expect us to be Binghamton." And so what does that mean? Um, and um, they know that I've brought in, you know, my experiences from GW, from Syracuse, from Boston College. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're going to forge our own identity. So what does that mean? Um, so I gave them the values and I said, listen, you guys vote on this. You guys talk it over, um, and then what are going to what are going to be the, the the values that you, that that uh, um, that you want to uh, you want to really revolve around? And I said six to eight, and then you know they came up with eight of them. Um, so that's how they they made those choices. And are they evaluated? I guess we're we're still focusing on the first year, but were they evaluated on those their adherence to those values? Um, I wouldn't say we had like an empirical metric to it, um, but it was kind of those things where if our eyes saw it or didn't see it, you know, we we know. Um, so you know, if if things got away from us, okay, well, this is this is where we this moment this is where we weren't being disciplined. Um, you know, if we got scored on, and the next ten minutes, you know, we played with our shoulders down and our heads down. Well, this is where we weren't resilient, um, and then we certainly try to highlight the moments where it did come across. Okay, what you know what a great message look how positive this is um and how selfless we are in supporting our teammates so you know we we worked on those those moments for sure and then what was the mission statement whether explicit or implicit that you either wanted the team to create or gave to the team in that early stages what was the mission statement of binghamton university women's soccer yeah, so I we didn't necessarily have an implicit statement, but I would say um, you know we were a organization um, that was in the throes of um, of change, um, and that we were going to step up um, to to make improvements, um, to meet challenges, and that we were going to set our expectations and culture, and then through that process, we were going to be um, an improved, stronger, more competitive organization at the end, and then. Again, last question on that first year. What behaviors were rewarded and what behaviors were criticized? 
Um, you know, the, the behaviors that were rewarded is, um, you know, I, I think certainly from the fitness side, um, and, and I, I think a lot of character is, is built through that as well. Um, you know, when we had come in, um, there weren't necessarily um, specific fitness demands in, re- in regards to conditioning, in regards to strength work. Um, so we, we established some protocol there. Um, so I think that was a big part in terms of um, changing that. And then it gave players an expectation of, okay, you got to keep up with this over the summer because uh, this is where we want to be when we come back for preseason in August. Um, so I think certainly a, a big part of that was was there. Um, you know, and then there were there were still moments where we just quite honestly weren't all together on the same page. I think there were still those class divisions. Um, we did our best to mitigate that. Um, sometimes we did it, sometimes to varying degrees um, of, of success or not success. Um, and, and it was just a matter or just kind of, you know, really getting through those those months in terms of just establishing where we wanted to be. Um, you know, in some ways we did it, in some ways we just we didn't, but we knew it was just it was a progress that we we're just gonna we we're just gonna have to chip at it bit by bit. Okay. So now I want to understand you introduce uh, a culture change, and, and let's call it what it is—a culture shock, right? It's uh, asking players to literally think and behave differently set new norms, go into something new and and new is scary. So what do you see as the biggest change between, and I mean culturally, from year one, year two? So yes, you bring in uh, a higher level of talent, uh, but what was the cultural change that you saw there? I would just say buy-in mm-hmm. um, and and belief. Um, so, you know, year one, we put in, okay, here are the things that we want to do, that we want to stand for, um, and that's going to lead us into our, our positive way in terms of the process that we want to be at. Um, second year, you could see the benefit of that. Um, and then you throw in a little bit of, um, you know, talent in there, you know, that's, that's where you start, you just start to see, you know, things really elevate. Um, so I would just say it was, you know, people started to see, okay, like this is, this is happening. Like, you know, we're, we're starting to, um, put the work in, we're seeing the benefits of that work. And now we want to keep continuing along that process. So, um, and then, you know, what really helped, um, is, um, you know, at at the beginning of the year, we got a couple results and then it snowballed in a very positive way. Um, now it could have got very differently. You know, if we didn't get those results early on, then you could very much question, well, Right. Are we on the right path? Are we on the right track? Or do we believe in this process? Um, but you know, fortunately for us, it um, you know there were it, we got off to a pretty positive start. Okay, so year two uh, shocks everyone. Uh, I shouldn't say shock, surprises um, ahead of schedule. Did you feel that you were in a, a stable cultural place at that point? I would, I would say so. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at least for, for the fall, you know, through the season, um, I just felt like we were all on the same page. Um, I felt like our freshmen were welcomed. Um, you know, our seniors, um, we had three senior cap, uh, co-captains, um, that, um, um, you know, were doing their part to, to give the right messages. Um, and, um, um, and, you know, I just felt like there, there wasn't really, 
um, big class divisions. There wasn't really um, a whole lot of um, tension between coaching staff and players, captains and players. Like, you know, I just felt like the, the, the message was pretty consistent in terms of how it was given and then how it was received because, you know, at the end, we all wanted the same thing. Okay. We have buy-in. I heard leadership. Same page. And then you describe year three as off-kilter. So you kind of get to stability. And then what what tips that? Yeah, so for, for whatever reason, it just we um, we didn't all feel quite on the same page um, that that particular year. Um, and um, we've we've actually examined it. We've kind of done uh, kind of an autopsy mm-hmm. for, for lack of a better word, just looking at the season. Um, many of our freshmen felt like they didn't get some of the guidance that perhaps they wanted, mm-hmm. and they felt like they would make a mistake and then get called out for it. Whereas if they had the leadership at the beginning, um, it would have been a, a, a much easier transition for them. Um, we got back to, to having class divisions again. Um, and I felt like there was there was a difference between what um, um, the captains wanted and what the team wanted. Um, and um, and again, just how, how messages were um, um, given and received. Um, and, and, and ultimately it, you know, you, you could kind of feel that we were just we were off um and uh um and you know we we didn't make postseason um you know so as a team you know we, we definitely all feel like we underachieved and um, um and we've taken responsibility for that um so one thing that we've done actually this past spring we brought in someone who uh, um, actually two people that um um work with organizational leadership and um talked about how do we want to build a positive team culture um for for me, it was it was actually pretty difficult because as as a head coach, I had to let go to to a certain degree, you know, to bring in um, someone who was you know quote unquote an outsider um, to help us with that. But I think just having someone with that um, that background knowledge and hearing that voice um, really helped our team. So I think we're um, in a much much better spot at the end of the spring than we were at the end of the fall, and, and hopefully that'll translate to to what we're going to see um, this upcoming fall nineteen season. And what did those two external resources bring that you felt maybe you couldn't? Um, they really hit at, um, you know, asking some some questions in terms of, okay, like where did things um, not go your way? Um, the players were, um, they were pretty open about it. Um, you know, like I said, the freshmen talked about um, their experience. Um, and it was interesting. We had juniors that are going to be our seniors this year that they had poor freshman experiences in year one in 2016. And they said, we'll never let that happen to a freshman class again. And they took responsibility, like, holy cow, like it, it happened again. Um, and we got to make sure that doesn't happen in fall 2019. Um, you know, so, so there were the, those, those discussions happen. Um, you know, I, 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 when I talked to the, the, the two folks that, that were helping us out, I said, what do you want me for? What do you want me there? And they said, well, actually, some of the stuff, it's actually better if you're not there in the room because okay. stuff will come out. Yeah. Um, um, a little bit more so. So again, it was it was tough for me, you know, having having to, to let go of the reins a little bit, because um, uh, usually I want to know, you know, every little intricate detail. Um, but you know, it, it there there were there were some good moments, and there were some from, from what I gather some some uncomfortable moments. But um, you know, in those moments, that's where that's where positive growth can occur. Yeah, agreed. Okay, now entering this fall, we started with a uh, Liberty Bell. 
this fall, what's that symbol? Um, so I would say heading into the fall, um, the Liberty Bell now has glue on it. Um, so, so in many ways, that fracture has been fixed. But if we're not careful, that fracture could open up again. Um, you know, so so we've got to make sure that we come in with the proper mindset, um, you know, this fall. Um, you know, anything that came out was brought up in the spring. We've got to make sure that we've grown from that and gotten better. Um, we've got to make sure that, you know, we don't, ha- um, you know, have anything that detracts us from, you know, what, what our goals could be. Um, you know, we haven't necessarily talked about goals just yet, but I, I do know from, from the team side, um, they want to be known for being um, from having a positive team culture where accountability still exists and we can be mentally tough and overall that you know the class divisions are gone that we're going to be a united team um, of, of, of 27 personalities that you know this year are going, are going to be on the same page um, you know so we worked on this you know throughout the spring with our 20 returning players and then we're going to be adding seven freshmen into that fray and we hope that they're they're able to to pretty much jump on board and you know it's going to it's still going to continue to be work on progress you know there's some team building we're going to need to do and um kind of see where it goes you know early on and uh, and, and uh, you know, really establish our culture that we want for the fall yeah so so i hear that new story what what are the rituals or routines that are in place now to reinforce that story that new story um, so we'll, we'll talk about this on, on day one. Um, you know, again, what, you know, the, the, the controls that we have in place, um, we are going to do some stuff in terms of team building, um, that, uh, the team's going to find out when, when they arrive for, for preseason, um, again, putting in, in putting them in some, some uncomfortable situations. Um, one thing that we also want to do is just shake the team up a little bit in terms of to make sure those class divisions don't exist. Um, you know, last spring when we were would drive to scrimmages and vans. You would see those class divisions, and we, we dealt with that right away. Like, no, we're gonna we're gonna change it up. We're gonna mix it up, and and um, and uh, um, and and for one thing that we told our team is, listen, it's one thing to say, it's another thing to do it. You know, well done is always better than well said. Um, so th- these are things that we just have to be mindful of, and um, and and if we chip at it day by day, I think it's it's gonna get to a point where you know we're gonna be confident comfortable and have the positive culture that we want has the power shifted the power structure shifted at all in this evolution yeah i mean i think more has gone to the players um which is um as a coach that's that's what you want um and if you look at where we were to where we want to get to that that had to happen um so you know i mentioned that you know there was um um, a certain letting go of the reins um um you know on my point well that that needed to happen i mean the players um you know they they take on a lot of responsibility in terms of things that they saw from the fall um but they, they know that they have it, it's within themselves and they have the power to change it in terms of where they want um, things to be for this upcoming fall. Um, you know, we talked about having, you know, focusing on the process, having that growth mindset, controlling things that they can control. Well, if they do that, like I said, I mean, the pro- if the process is in place and the culture is there, then, then the results will follow in the end. So, Neil, what's the next step? What's the next evolution of your culture? 
Um, so it's gonna it's gonna really start when we when we come back August fifth. Um, you know, we're gonna talk about the things that we want. Um, the spring, um, the players. This is their goal. They already talked about um, an America East championship. Um, so, um, so they know that whatever they do, behaviors on the field and off the field, um, can't take away from that. Um, so that's, that's their, that's their ultimate goal. Um, so they've, they've kind of got that, that, that fixed, um, um, you know, North Star that, that they're looking at um, in terms of where they want to be. Um, now, for us as a coaching staff, it's a matter of just making sure that um, we give them an avenue, a culture to set that up. Um, and for us, you know, things that, like I said, I mean, we've, we've got to make sure that those class divisions don't exist, that our freshmen get in the fray right away. Uh, one thing that I love that our team did, did this year is they actually did a PowerPoint um, where everyone had did a PowerPoint slide and they gave it to the freshmen after they graduated from high school so they've already started to bring the freshmen into the fray um which is which is fabulous and um and 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 i think it's a great marketing idea um so i'm 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 really happy in terms of the positive steps that they've taken um the other thing too that um you know, I, I think our team understands this now. I think there are certain things that we took for granted in 2018. We had success in 2017, and I think we just expected that we could show up and that would happen again. And it's not that easy. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think we've learned from a um, from, from some tough circumstances that it's it's going to take some effort and a collaborative work to make sure that we get to where we want to be for 2019. We, we learned those lessons the hard way the year before. Yeah. Neil, I have some quick hits here as we, we wrap up. Um, what do you wish all coaches knew about culture? Um, just how important it is. Um, you know, I, I, I look at myself as a younger coach and, um, you know, I would put so much of a premium on, on talent, um, on the soccer. Um, and I just think so much of it is, it, it, it is dependent on, on the culture that you have. Um, and, um, you know, and, and if anything detracts from that, it, it, it can really get in the way. Um, to, to be honest with you, in our environment where we're, Working with college female student athletes, the ages eighteen to twenty-two, I, I think there's even more of a premium on it. Um, um, so just just knowing the the importance of it, um, and, and I think people know what it looks like, and people know um, things that um, can take away from it that won't be as positive. Um, but really, no. Well, there, there's a process that it, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't occur overnight. Um, it's, it's, it's something that you have to work on. Um, and, and it requires communication and trust for that to happen. Yeah. I hear that. What do you wish all players knew about culture? Um, just that it's, it's, it's a day to day thing. Um, and it's something that they have to work at as well. Um, and, um, um, even when, you, you know, certain things might get mentioned in the locker room after a hard workout or you're tired or you're frustrated with, um, um, you know, if you didn't get the playing time you want. Um, but, but everything adds to that culture. It's, it's a buildup. Um, so if you want to have that unified, team culture if you want to have that positive environment just know that you play a part in it um and um you can add to it or you can detract from it uh, but um, regardless of where you are what position you play if you're getting a lot of playing time or not um you can play a big role in all of it okay fill in the blanks the first step in creating an intentional culture is 
um, having trust and communication um, that um, um, is consistent between all players and staff. The culture we are trying to create at BU is? Um, one of positivity, um, but also can be met with uh, accountability and uh, United Team Fund. We will know that we have created this culture when? I don't know if there's an end product. Um, you know, I just think, you know, I, I, I've, I've talked about process, you know, and it's always something that's there. So I guess you have the culture you want when you know that the process is there and that you're always building to it. Um, but just knowing that, you know, there, there never may be a, a, a total end result. Just knowing that you've got to consistently have that buy-in and believe in the process every day. Neil, thank you so much for this. All right, Matt. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Performance Rising Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can find all the information about the podcast at performancerising.org. And be sure to check out the Instagram page at performance underscore rising.